0: Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church, and what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. It's so great to be here with you today. Thank you for the opportunity to share. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're gonna be spending time in the book of Titus. And I just love the book of Titus. It's a punchy little book. If you've got your Bibles, it's really just two pages, the whole book. Uh, It's over around the book of Hebrews and first and second Timothy towards the end of the New Testament. If you've got your phones, feel free to look that up. I like to use uh, the Bible app or the BibleGateway.com link. And so I'm just going to talk about Titus. We're going to work our way through the first chapter. And obviously, I don't have time to unpack every single verse in the chapter. But there are some things that I'd like to bring out. I'm going to just give you a little road map. I'll give you a little background, and then a couple of points that come out of this chapter that have really been working me over. Um, several people said to me this morning, are, are you nervous? And, I, and actually, I'm, I'm, I am nervous. I am a little anxious. And I think part of that is just when you have the opportunity to speak with your friends and your church family, um, it's just a little more nerve-wracking. But I also know that this chapter has been working over my soul soil. And so I'm going to be speaking to you not as someone who's saying, I've arrived in my full understanding of what this means in my life, but rather I'm sitting in the pews with you shoulder to shoulder saying, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me in this work? So first of all, let's remember something. Titus is one who is not a, uh, he's not a Jewish person, and he's a church planter. And so he's getting this punchy direct letter from his overseer, telling him how to lead and what he needs to do next. And he's going into this environment where there are people who have been in the long history of the Jewish faith, and then there's also people who have never been in a synagogue. They don't know what the Torah is. They follow all the Roman and Crete uh, moral culture, which is not Jewish. And he's trying to blend together under Christ, this body of people. And it feels like it's really appropriate to the church, right? We have people even here who have a long history of faith in their families, and then there's others who are just now beginning to explore. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So these are words for us even today, even though he's writing this letter to Titus. And one of the things that I love about Titus is i have to wait a couple of weeks to get to chapter 3, but that's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. But getting to that point, um, the book is really concerned about having this unbreakable link between action and belief or between belief and behavior that making sure that what you hear from someone who is a believer matches with what you see the believer doing whether it's a leader or an average person in the seat or walking along the road saying they follow Jesus It's really concerned about making sure that both of those spheres, what is inside matches what is on the outside. So I'd like to go to the first part of this chapter. And it it starts with this greeting that Paul gives to everyone whenever he writes his letters. Somewhere in here, he always says, grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. He's written all kinds of letters. If you go down through the the Scripture and the New Testament, you'll see that he always tries to have some kind of phrasing along this way. A grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Grace is coming from this idea of charis, or loving kindness, Coming from the love of the Lord, the loving kindness that, that, over, that, that goes, looks over the ways that we've fallen short because he is our loving father. And then he says, peace, or in the Hebrew, shalom. It's not just this like temporary moment of, oh, I'm out here in the woods or I'm at the beach And it's just so calm and beautiful and sunny and I suddenly have this feeling of peace. No, this is this idea of like completeness and wholeness even when the storm is crashing around us. So he starts his letter to Titus and I believe to the people he's also leading by saying grace and peace to you from the Lord God and Jesus Christ. You're gathered here today coming from different home settings, different work settings on this. Thank you for braving this very beautiful day to come and be here. And some of you are here because you simply need a blessing over you. You came because you want to hear from the Lord grace and peace be upon you in the name of of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's all you're wanting. You're like the woman in the New Testament that comes up to Jesus and is grabbing his, the hem of his robe and saying, I just need a piece of you, Lord. And so today, I say to each of you sitting here, grace, loving kindness over you, and peace, wholeness over you. And when Paul starts like this, every one of his letters has sections in here that just works readers over. It messes us up. There are hard words, but he starts with the desire for us to thrive, to have a fullness of life. And so when you read these hard words or hear hard words, start with loving kindness and wholeness. Let's go to the next section. It's about, if you have an NIV, it says, appointing elders who love to do what is good. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but basically he says to Titus, I've left you here. You've got to go finish what I've started. You've got to appoint elders. Now, I have to kind of believe, uh, there's not strong evidence. We don't know how big the fellowships were, but there were probably church plants within people's homes small groups of people, and they just, they just needed leaders. They needed people to oversee these faith communities. And he goes through the description of what an elder or a leader might be. I should also note that like in the NIV version, the word um, pastor only showed up once. I think it's in Ephesians. Um, but usually the word elder is used to describe a Pastor or an elder, or a teacher, someone who has a position of leadership. So, if you're reading this through the lens of the Restore community, um, Titus is coming to help appoint an elder or elders, and he's basically, if you were to come to Restore, he's saying, well, Pastor Gene, Pastor Jordan, but he's also looking at, like, directors. He's looking at children's ministry leaders. He's looking at things like an elder on a leadership team, anyone who is in a position that models the Christ-like behavior of a, of a, of a Christ follower, this is who he's speaking to. And he goes on to say, since an overseer manages God's household, or um, this is where we get like the word economics, oikonomos, the law um, of the house, okay? So this this. This economy, this household must be blameless, blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, rather must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled and upright, holy and disciplined. And it goes on saying, holding to sound doctrine and refuting those who oppose it. Now, I said earlier, Titus is working with people who have a history with a faith community. Maybe not Christ-following, but at least Jewish. But then he also has people who are coming out of a secular background, no faith background, maybe a pagan kind of other religion, where there are different kinds of overseers. And there's probably no lack of experience with overseers who are violent who are dishonest you you see where I'm going here there's no lack of experience now if there's anybody here that is either a new believer or a longtime participant in the church whether you follow the news or you've been in a faith community you have probably experienced leadership that has not behaved in Christ-like ways I think that's probably, I'm just, I like to name what's going on in my own heart. I think that's probably where I experience some of my anxiety. I I don't have a problem talking, those of you who know me. But I've got stuff. I've had leaders say things that were not very helpful. Maybe in the heat of the moment, or maybe they were premeditated. If you're just starting on the Christian journey, there's no lack of news headlines to warn you about what it means to be with those people. But what I had to learn really early on, and I'm going off script a little bit here, is that sometimes my view and understanding of a God and Jesus Christ have been clouded by the behavior, the bad behavior of leaders and believers. But this is where this letter is so important. He tells us here what is needed in a good leader. The, uh, I believe there's verses for that that I was reading. To not be overbearing, not quick-tempered, given the drunkenness, violent or dishonest gain. I mean, some of the real public ones are things like violent and, and, and such, but some of the more hidden ones might be dishonest or misleading. I've worked in several businesses, I interned for a politician, I've been under many kinds of pastors, I've worked with a regional ministry, I've pastored for 15 years, and my work now is with pastors across many different states and contexts, and there is not much that surprises me anymore when I see bad behavior among leaders. To just give you a story about why this is so important that leaders need to be faithful in the small things so that they're also faithful in the big things. I remember that there was a pastor that was mentoring me at one point. And this is where, like, character counts. Um, I loved the man, and we, we, we spent a lot of time together. And we went, we would go to a fast food restaurant every once in a while. And I don't know what it was about it, but he would treat cashiers like they were subhuman. Like, first of all, the first rule in fast food is don't treat anyone poorly that's fixing your food. But <laughs> can I get an amen? <laughs> I just, it was like he became a different person. I mean, have you ever seen that? Like where someone, he just, he would like, he'd walk through the door of Burger King and suddenly he was like, I'm just going to, nail this person to the wall. They, they're just clueless. This is, this is obviously why they're working here. And I just remember thinking, but why should I pay attention to what he's telling me to do with these other areas if it's not matching with the way he's treating this nervous teenager who, at that time, uh, I, you know, they didn't have the little machine that spit the chains out off to the side for you to take um, actually, back when you would use cash to buy fast food, but um, and, and he would just get on them as they're making don't you know how to make change? I mean, that was that was the worst, anyways. I, I digress, <clears throat> but we all can find places where leaders go sideways, even in those little things, it's easy to critique. And I believe that in the behavior of leaders like that, there was a season in my life where I walked away from the church because I struggled to see character being exercised in the public and the private life of these leaders. But I have to be honest with you that there are, that's not the full picture. There are leaders who seek to be the heart of God. There are people that, yes, maybe sometimes things go sideways, but in the long arc, they really, truly want to be what is described here as what it means to be a good leader. It's part of what has attracted my wife and I and our family to this congregation. I've known Gene and before we ever came here, and I've watched him in his private and public life. I've met other staff members and elders in this church, and I've seen a real concern for making sure that action matches with the belief. But let's be honest. Don't we all want all leaders to behave this way? Isn't our heart's desire that this isn't just a word for church people, but it's for all leaders, managers, teachers, nurses, I mean, every one of us in some way, shape or form, we're we're parents, we are um, members of households and businesses and schools, our peers look up to us. Aren't these traits that we want to exercise as believers? Is, Is there really anything so special about these? Don't we all want to be somehow blameless? Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given the drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, but rather good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined? I was talking to someone here that owned a business. It's a, fair, it's a, it's a newer business, and I was talking about why they started the business. Now they, they wanted to do this line of work, but part of the motivation behind the business was spending around 15 years in another business where overseers were always yelling at them on the line. Or he, he told one story where they would, they would do meals at a company and the president would always jump to the front of the line with his family and get the food first and then go off to his private suit sweet, I'm sorry, and uh, leave the employees amongst themselves. It was like a, like a free-for-all. Like, he just kept this list over 15 years of all these things that he would just do differently. And he said, this business, I'm going to eat last. Great book, by the way, by Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last. I'm going to let employees on the floor help be a part of making the decisions about the flow of work on the floor. People want to be heard, they want to be respected, and they wanna work in an environment where they're not just another cog in the machine. Church, business, school, whatever. Maybe what you need to hear today is that it's important to evaluate the leaders that you have put yourself under or you're under. Or maybe you need to hear today that you are in a position where you are a leader who's being convicted about an area needs to change in the way that you lead, and you need strength from Jesus Christ to bring change into that area of your life. Maybe... Maybe you're behaving in a dishonest way and you need to go before the Lord and and ask, how do I fix this? Or maybe you're being overbearing in a way that's actually cutting down production because you're cutting down people. And the Spirit is convicting you that you need to make a change. I think Paul gives us good words here. Now... I'm going to come to this section, I've already said grace and peace, that's what we want, we desire, it helps me actually receive input better when I know that someone's concerned about my well-being. And then I've been talking about character counting, or how it matters, but let's talk about the last part of this chapter, rebuking those who fail to do good. Now I'm not going to get into kind of the arguments of the time or the particular um, problems that were happening here with um, religious practices, um, I just, I just want to note that this is a hard word. To the pure, all things, in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny them. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. I don't know about you, but um, I can speak generally about things I detest. But as a human being, I really don't enjoy calling someone detestable. Like, that's not an easy thing. Like, when it really comes down to it, looking somebody in the eye and saying, "Uh, yeah, you're not doing so hot right now. It's not something we enjoy saying. Can I get AMM amen from at least some business owners in here? I mean, but it's helpful to remember that at the end of Titus, We'll come to it at another time. He does say that all of us were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, which is what we just spent the last few weeks talking about. We'd live no lie. But we can't avoid it. There are times when confrontation needs to happen. And I was talking with Gene about this ahead of time. <coughs> You know, you, you, you go through formal training to be in pastoring, uh, to be a pastor. You, you go through business leadership seminars. You work as a teacher on how to work with students. Maybe you're trained to be a counselor, or you're, you're a nurse and you're doing bedside work. Like, I'm telling you, whatever they tell you in school about how someone's going to respond when you say A plus B equals C, like, like just, it, it's a good idea, but people never respond the way you expect them to, right? They never like, rarely does, like, the story I would think of is when I started pastoring, I met with someone who was working with the youth who was always yelling at the youth, like angry yell. And so I had to sit down, and we were talking with this person, and, and um, I was talking with this person, and I said, you know, maybe the issue really isn't the issue, maybe the issue isn't the kids, maybe there's something else going on, and it's causing you to be angry. We were trying to sort through some things. You know, I was thinking, wow, this is pretty good. I'm putting into practice all these, I'm doing this active listening, and I'm giving feedback that's helpful, and she's crying. She's like, you're right, you're right. I find out a few hours later, those were angry tears. And we're in, we're in good terms now, okay, just to be clear, if this person's watching. But let's face it, we really don't like to hear when we're doing things wrong. Dan Ryland, a church coach, says, honestly, like, human beings really don't desire accountability. We don't, we don't really want that because it means we're going to get confronted. And that's at the heart of almost all the stories at the first few chapters of Genesis, right? We shift, we blame, we move. And he says in this passage, there are some who have gone so far that their rational minds and their hearts, their consciences, corrupted and they can't even receive it. So I have to ask you, how then do we rebuke? So if you're a leader or if you're someone receiving the rebuking, we have to start again with this desire for love and peace, this grace, this loving kindness, this shalom. We consider the character of the one doing the rebuking to be blameless and above reproach, but also recognizing we've come from that as well. And when someone in the faith community is angry and dishonest and unfaithful, they must be confronted because we know as teachers and leaders and business owners and pastors that while that's painful, it's way more painful to just let that chaos roll out. I don't know about you, but when I see that passage that says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny them, I also have to look inward when when I see it. Even the way that I lead and work in my life, every day I have to say, Lord, are you revealing to me how my actions might deny that you are Lord of my life? And then from that posture, we can also do the same with those whom we're in the journey with, whether it's in the church or in the school, wherever we might be. I've covered a few things here and it can be heavy, but I wanna remind you what I started with. Paul wants love and shalom. And in order to get there, Gene said this at the beginning of the service, that surgery is not what we desire, but it brings healing. And the knife hurts, it cuts. Sometimes it removes things that are essential, or that we think are essential, but it goes in and it cuts out the cancer. And there's a long healing period. But in the end, the goal is restoration and healing. So maybe what you need to hear today is that you are being called to be more receptive to the correction that you're receiving in your life right now. I have a theory that sometimes we get really angry because we really don't know what to do with conviction. Like we blame the person that's delivering the mail when really we should open the mail and answer it and read it and apply it. And so maybe, maybe here today, the encouragement is that you have to think about why you've been so upset about a particular piece of input that's true. Or maybe as a leader, are you avoiding an important correction that needs to be made? I'd like to go ahead and invite the band forward while I bring it to a close. I believe that the last couple of years have been an answer to prayer. The pandemic, I think I've said this to you before, I believe the pandemic revealed in us whether or not we really live in the fruit of the Spirit. How we treat people online, how we treat people in business, how we treat people in our household. That You see, when we get anxious and all this stress starts happening, it makes our skin thinner and then we react with our lizard brains and what's at our root. And I've found out that I don't have as much fruit in the spirit in my life as I thought I did. And I've been really disappointed in the way leaders and Christ followers have been behaving in this season at times. And this is a chance for us to say, maybe it's an answer to prayer, that it's revealed something in us. And so as we go into this uh, time of closing worship, There's a prayer team back there that will be there for you. Um, They want to pray grace and peace on you. They want to pray for your character to be strengthened. They want to pray for the Holy Spirit to equip you to receive the correction you need or the correction you need to give. Let's, Let's go ahead and stand together and we'll worship. Thank you for the honor and the opportunity to be here with you today. It's been a blessing. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.